0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and his church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. I'm Scott. I'm the pastor here at Christ Church, and uh, yeah, it's such a joy to be here this morning. These scriptures, um, man, they're so good. So really excited to dig deep into this this morning. Um, one of my favorite Christian theologians and pastors is a guy named John Owen, who's this super old, crazy 1600s Puritan English guy. And uh, I read him a lot this summer and he has this fascinating quote, and I wonder how you would finish the sentence. The greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is... dot dot dot." John Owen was the most intense, brilliant dude Ever Here's how he finishes the sentence. The greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is not to believe that He loves you. Let me read that again because it's so good. The greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on Father God, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is not to believe that He loves you. John Owen is saying two things in that. First, he's saying the Father loves you, big time, more than you can possibly imagine. And he's also saying and implying it's easy and tempting not to believe that he actually does, that it's actually hard to grasp that the Father loves you. It's not easy. And there's a lot of reasons why I think it's hard for us to grasp that the Father loves us, but here's a couple. One, you may have just never heard that God loves you. If you're here this morning and this is the first time, I'm so thrilled for you to listen to these scriptures. Also, maybe you know all this, but it feels like data. So you've been to church like your whole life, but that idea, the love of God, has never seeped into your soul and entered into your being and your gut. Another reason is some of us sometimes we can feel so unlovely, so unlovable that we think there's no way God could love me. For how much I've messed up and what I've done. We're in a series on love and obedience. Last week, we looked into how the scriptures are crystal clear. The number one thing God is calling us to in general, but also as a church, is to grow deeper in love for God and for one another. And we ended last week saying that we can't do that ourselves. There's no other way but to begin by receiving God's love. To be loving and lovely, you first have to be loved. It starts with you being loved. Open up your bulletin to 1 John, the one that Elijah killed. Amazing reading. Um, We're going to be in this text, so I actually do really want you to open your Bible up or your bulletin to 1 John 4. You guys there? Our goal, we talked about this at Evensong, our goal is to get to the point where we can speak the words of verse 16 and it actually be true. And that is, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. We want to get to that point to be able to actually say, I understand it, I know it, I believe it. So we're going to look at 1 John 4 this morning, and we're going to see that God has made it possible for you to know and believe his love. That's what this chapter is all about. It's actually what the book's all about. And we're gonna see three main ways that First John unravels in this chapter about how you can know and believe God's love. And they all have to do with the three persons of the Trinity. So it's very Trinitarian and it's beautiful. And these three ways that God expresses his love are all over scripture, but they are like diluted and jam-packed into this chapter like an espresso shot. And it's really, really delicious. So get excited, we're gonna do that, okay. Uh, These are easy outline points if you're a note taker. Number one, here's the first way that God makes it possible for us to know and believe His love. Love is heard. Number one, love is heard. Everything begins with the biblical revelation that God the Father loves you. To put it another way, everything begins with the objective spoken truth claim that God exists There is one, and that He actually loves you. And the Bible focuses this proclamation of love on the Father. He's the source of love. So all of us know that words are fundamental to knowing and experiencing love in relationships, right? In a romantic relationship or in a family relationship or a friend relationship, if somebody never told you they loved you but they did all kinds of stuff for you, it would be super weird, right? Right? Imagine being given flowers by somebody and you're like, thank you. And there's no note on it. And they're just like, you would be like, what's happening? You have no idea what they're meaning, right? You need words. If you have people who you do love and they never express their love to you, that is miserable. It keeps you guessing. It keeps you wondering. We were created as relational beings. We were born to love and love is communicated verbally. Amen. I think it's fair to say, we could argue about this, I and love and you are the three most consequential words in the English language. I think they're probably more powerful than anything else. could talk about other ones that might challenge those, but that would be a horrible rabbit trail in a sermon that I won't go down. Our Heavenly Father is not like an earthly father or a bad date who does not keep you guessing, who doesn't express verbally his intentions and his love for us. The entire Bible is a revelation of the love of God. It's totally a cliche, but goodness, it's true. The Bible is a love letter. I know that's cheesy, but the cheese is real. It's true. God does love you, and the entire thing, I could take you to any book of the Bible and talk about God's love. But just for specifics, let's look at the one we we read this morning. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. In this famous passage, you can exchange God there for Father. Jesus is gonna go talk about other stuff, about what God's doing in the world, but he begins with that claim. God loves the world. God has loved the world. Now turn to John, 1 John 4 if you're already there. Again, in this passage, you can replace the word God with Father because John will make a distinction between God and the Son in this passage. Look at verse seven with me. Beloved. What does beloved mean? Somebody give me a definition for beloved who's brave. One who is loved. Thank you, Michael. So we're starting with the fact that somebody is loved. You're receiving this and you're being called the person who's the object of my love. Beloved, let us love one another from love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. So here are the amazing truth claims John is making. Love, all love is from God the Father. He is its source. He is the fountainhead of all love. And he is love. His being is love. That means the most fiery, most deep and profound and transformative love that you have tasted on earth is a reflection of a shadow, of a dim likeness of who God is. That's astonishing. Look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So no one's ever seen the Father, but he loved you first, even before you knew about him. He loved you we begin here by hearing that God has revealed actually how he feels towards you. This is so crucial, it's not fuzzy, it's not up for interpretation, it's clear. Take him at his word, love is first heard. Number two, love is seen. Love is heard and love is seen. Amazing as it is to have God's revelation that He loves us, that would not be enough. Think about human relationships again. If somebody told you they loved you all the time, but you never saw any proof of it, it would count for nothing. right? Somebody's like, "I love you so much," and then they just always leave, and they like never, ever show you any, give you any time or demonstration of love, affection, you would doubt it, right? I think this happens in the Christian faith. You can be told your whole childhood, you're loved, and if you never experience it or see it in any way, it will remain like if somebody was like, I love you, and you're like, I never see you in my life, right? I'm not the only person who's thought that. This is what's so amazing about the God of the Bible, and it separates Christianity from all of the religions and philosophies because God has demonstrated his love in history and in blood. John 3.16 does not end with Jesus saying, God loves the world. He didn't just talk about it, right? He didn't just keep on walking around and talking about love. What does he say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We've talked about this before, but that give language is cross-sacrifice language when he talks about the father giving the son. And what's cool is another translation for John 3.16 uh, English translations of Bible verses become so popular that they become like hard to touch in the English language. But a better, possibly, I think better translation for John 6, 3.16 is actually this. For this is how God loved the world. Or it was in this way that he loved the world. The Bible consistently connects the love of God to the cross. Jesus says elsewhere in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life. For his friends. You see the connection? Romans 5. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. That's been done. But God shows, God demonstrates, makes manifest his love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now look at 1 John verses 9 and 10. You guys there? In both of these verses, John begins by saying, in this is love. And you don't say that a lot, but basically what that means in 1 John is, now let's not let love be fuzzy. I'm using a lot of big, beautiful things. Here's what I mean when I'm talking about love. That's what John means. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How? How? that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love. He's doing it again. Here's what I mean when I talk about love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us. And what? And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's a lot of talk about love in the world, rightly so. There's a lot of religions and politicians and scientists that talk about love, and it can feel very hazy. It can feel like an ideal that's very hard to grasp or bottle up or understand. The father demonstrates his love by giving the son. And that happened in real time and space. His love is so great, he did what he did not require Abraham to do, which is to give his only son, the son that he loved for the sake of the world as a sacrifice. And the son demonstrates his love in that he willingly sacrificed himself in unity with the will of the father by laying his life down for you and I as well. It is all a display of love. In my opinion, I love music. One of the most gifted songwriters alive is a guy named Connor O'Burst. Any Connor O'Burst fans out there? Ian just gave me a, it shows how lame the music I listen to is. I think he's amazing. He's not a person of faith, and he writes about Christianity all the time, though, because he really grapples with it. He's kind of a philosophic type guy. And in one of of his songs, he's really going after the narrative of the Bible, and he says this, Jesus off in the water, standing on his feet. Yeah, that's the thing about charisma. It makes everyone believe. In other words, yeah, people get into Christianity because Jesus was this, like, charismatic kind of guru guy and all weak Christians were like, Ooh, and we got all duped by him. And one time I was with my brother and we were driving around and I was listening to that song. And when Conroe Burst said that line, my brother said, don't give me that. Jesus died on the cross. And my brother was saying, Jesus did not change the world because of his charisma. He didn't hand out flowers and plant yard signs and change the world. No, Jesus starved. He was publicly beaten, mocked, stripped naked, and crucified. And then defeated death by rising again from the grave. Do not believe the lie that God does not love you. Amen? The greatest sorrow or burden or unkindness you to do to the Father is to believe that he doesn't love you. The Father gave the Son. The Son gives himself. It has been demonstrated for you in history, in real time. Love is seen and love is heard. Hearing and seeing are the food of love. You get a love letter, you get flowers. They both demonstrate the other. Proclamation, demonstration. They feed love. And there are many ways that God shows his love. A sunny day a beautiful October Wisconsin day where you pick an apple from a tree and you bite into it and the Midwest is like, ah, oh, this is good. The Packers winning, really, really good cheese, hearing our musicians this morning make beautiful country, folky, worshipful sounds. But the Bible clearly wants to point you to the cross as the chief demonstration of love. The Bible again and again and again, we'll do that specifically. And that's really important. If you want to know more about love, keep on studying the cross. The more you intake, the more you will believe and know the love of God. In this is love. This is not hazy. This is not up for question. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Amen. But it's not, it doesn't just end there, it gets so much deeper and better. And this is where the more you follow the bunny trail, bunny trail, crumb trail, whatever, you guys know what I'm talking about. It just gets so much better as you track love in the scriptures. Number three, love is experienced. Love is experienced. The Trinity begins with your ears. You hear god's revelation that he loves you then in history we see it in the way that it was clearly demonstrated god is not just all talk he did what any of us would not do he demonstrated it and then the trinity comes to you and reaches inside of you through bone and flesh and marrow and soul and plunges the love of god into your heart through the indwelling of the holy spirit And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness inside of you to the love of God. In an experiential way, he takes the eternal love, transcendent love of the Father. Remember, Jesus says, even the love that Jesus and the Father have shared together since the foundation of the world, since before the foundation of the world, and he bears witness to you in your being so you feel it. I was uh, preparing this sermon this week and I thought of the fantastic Bob Dylan song to make you feel my love, which Bob Dylan wrote it, not Adele. Um, But when I listened to it in a coffee shop, I burst into tears because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit makes you feel the love of God. And I laughed afterwards because like Adele was up on my screen and I'm weeping. I'm imagining somebody walking by and be like, oh my gosh, this dude's like crying to Adele by himself in a coffee shop just to make you feel my love. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's right in our text. Look with me in 1 John 4, verses 13. Verse 13, by this we know, the logic is so tight here for John. By this we know, and this is coming after everything we've just talked about, okay? The hearing and the seeing and all that. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because... He has given us of His Spirit. And what does the Spirit bear witness to? Look at verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. What's so special about the experiential ministry of the Holy Spirit is it's more specific than just kind of vague, general love. The Spirit specifically ministers to us the fact in Christ that we are beloved adopted children of our Heavenly Father. So it's not vague love, he bears witness to a fatherly love that we are the recipients of. Listen to Paul talk about this in Romans 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts. Uh, That image is so significant. It's not a trickle. It's It's not like a slow dosage. It's like a, what was the ice bucket challenge thing? Have that image in your imagination of what the Holy Spirit does. I never did that, but whatever that was about. Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then listen to this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that what? That we are children of God. Galatians 4. Galatians 4. Listen to the Trinity here. This is amazing. God the Father has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba was the personal, if you're familiar with this, heart language in Aramaic for like daddy. So Abba represents that primal, bonded heart cry of a child. And the Spirit, Paul's saying, gives you that to the God who created all of heaven and earth. So you know, I am a a loved child, a daughter or son of the Father. So the love of God is not left on the page and it's not left in history. Amen? Amen. It's experiential, it's personal, it's transformational. Unless this still seems like an idea, I wanna bear witness to this in my life. So about a month ago before the Sunday service, I, after my sermon prep, I stopped at this park to pray on my way back and I was praying for the church service, but also my eldest son was on my mind. And so I started praying for my eldest son, James. And as I was praying, the Holy Spirit started moving inside of me and widening and deepening. I couldn't even explain it. I still can't explain it. My love for my son. It was like, I all of a sudden got like new levels of an experience of a desire for him. And the things that I was worried about, the things that I was frustrated with or that were hard in our relationship just dissipated in my soul. And I just wanted Him. All I wanted to do was pursue Him. It was overwhelming. At that point, I would have fought a grizzly bear. I would have swam across the Atlantic Ocean. I couldn't even handle it. And then in an instant, as I was praying, God flipped everything and I was the boy. I was the little boy and God was the Father. And I knew, that God wanted me, and that just like I wanted my son, that God wanted to pursue me, and I knew that he had been pursuing me, and it was overwhelming. It burned inside of me. I couldn't even speak. I'm still trying to deal with it. I don't tell that story to be sensationalist or to draw attention to me or my story. I just want to bear witness to the truth of this. These are not Just ideas. That was the ministry of the Holy Spirit giving me an Abba Father, too deep for words, heart cry. The Father has actually really revealed his love. Please believe that this morning. The Son has actually demonstrated the love of God. For us to look at the cross and to think, I'm not sure, would be heinous. And the Father sent the Son, who has given us His Spirit, to experience personally in you that this is all actually true. Look back at 1 John, final time in 1 John here. Verse 16, where we started. This comes after everything we just talked about, the hearing, the seeing, the experiencing. And then you get to verse 16. So... And that so means, therefore, because of all this, in spite of all this, in light of everything we just said, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. I want to finish by talking about how to practically lean into this. And finally, what happens when you really do come to know and believe in the love of God. Okay, so practically speaking, I'm going to assume that you want a larger portion of this. And if not, I want to speak to those of you who do are sitting there and saying, give me a bigger slice of that cake. Please, I want as well to hear and see and know that I am a beloved child of the eternal, immortal God. (laughs) I'm gonna assume that, so what can we practically do? After that experience I had, one of my first emotions was, why doesn't this happen more often? How can I bottle this? How can I cultivate this intimacy with the Father where I know his love so much for me? That's a real question. So in light of this, not gonna solve everything, but I wanna give you two practical things that I think can help as we lean into these three truths of how God demonstrates his love. First. It's a relationship, not a science. It's a relationship, not a science. God is a person. He's three persons in one. He's not a force, right? We're not dealing with the force in Star Wars. We're dealing with a person. And cultivating a vibrant relationship of love with him is just like with a person. It's not a self-improvement program. It's not a workout regimen. It will take time. It will take vulnerability and self-disclosure, right? I was at a wedding yesterday. It will take loving him and what? Forsaking all others. If you're in a relationship and you don't invest in it, will that relationship grow? You can talk back to me. No, it was rhetorical, but no, it will not. If I can be so bold, if Sunday morning, is the only time that you ever think about the love of God or invest in a relationship with Him, it will not grow. Amen? It's not going to happen. We all want the same thing, but it's a relationship. It's not a science. It's not something you just plug in every now and then, like charging your, your phone up or something. Second, the three go together. The three go together like we talked about before, hearing, seeing, and experiencing God's love are tied together. They're a Trinitarian package. You cannot separate them. So if you wanna receive God's love in a greater way, it will involve investing in the three. It will involve soaking yourself in the scriptures, being drawn to the cross of Jesus, and inviting the spirit to minister that biblical historical love into your deepest being. So we devote ourselves to the hearing and the seeing, and you ask for the experience. I think is the way that we see this working in the scriptures. You can't control the Holy Spirit, but you can control what you're filling your ears and your eyes with, right? And that is what the Holy Spirit rushes over and breathes on and sets on fire inside your soul. Um, to quote John Owen again, he says one time, "This is such a good quote. So much as we see the love of God, so much." shall we delight in him and no more. Say that again. So much as we see the love of God, so much shall we delight in him and no more. He's saying the amount to which you continue to fill your ears and eyes with God's love is the amount to which you will taste it and grasp it and swallow it. And after you've done that, you can pray for the ministry of the Spirit to bear witness in you. Like I said, no one controls the Holy Spirit, but Jesus says in Luke 11 that the Father loves to give good gifts. This is something that fathers and mothers love to do. Give good gifts to the children. Jesus uses this analogy and he says he loves to give his children what they ask, but Jesus specifically says one thing he loves to give. And guess what that is? More of the Holy Spirit, more. How much will he not then give more of the Holy Spirit to him who asks? I love how Paul prays for this very thing in Ephesians to the church. There's that beautiful passage where Paul's like, I want you to know how deep and wide and high and long and broad and overwhelming is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul is praying for the ministry of the Spirit to minister to that church in Ephesus how insane God's love is. So we do the same. Practically speaking, we remember it's a relationship, not a science, and we remember the three go together. So to be super practical, a couple things. If you're here this morning and you're just like, I, I want to know that I'm beloved, uh, go ask for a prayer minister during worship to pray for you. Let somebody do for you what Paul did for that church in Ephesus, which is lay hands on you and say, God, help this beloved daughter or son know your love. Holy Spirit make them feel your love. That's really practical. Also, you could do that in your soup and bread group this week if you have a prayer time. Just pray for one another. Pray into this. Ask the Holy Spirit to start moving things around. Secondly, because it goes with your eyes and your ears and soaking yourself in Scripture, I would really recommend 1 John. If you're like, I really. I want this thing for me that's been fuzzy and that's been hard for me to deal with in my life of like, does God love me and is God real and do I know him? First John is so accessible and so deep at the same time. And if you read the chapter before this or after the one that's in our passage, it is even better. (laughs) Um, So maybe this week as really practical, just read one chapter a day. What are there, five chapters in the book of First John? That would be a really good idea to do. And then again, we're going to talk about how this pans out in this passage with love and obedience in the future because they are all tied together. Lastly, what happens when the love of God hits you? You're wooed. You're wooed. Your own love is stirred up. Your own affections stirred up start to be ignited inside of you, and you love God back. Marissa and I watched a romantic comedy this week. Out of embarrassment, I won't say which one. Uh, And it was all about a relationship that begins cold and slowly thaws, which is every single one. And as cheesy as it was, it was moving because it begins with flowers on a desk, and it ends with this twinkly lit scene where they both come together And something about that, even in romantic comedies, is a euphoria that we all taste and know. That's good. When you're on the receiving end of love, when you feel the pursuit of someone who wants you, it transforms you. Beauty and the Beast is the gospel. I weep at that story, whether it's Disney or whoever else it is. It is the gospel. Loving the unlovely makes them lovely. That is the church. We are the bride. Amen? When you're on the receiving end of love, it transforms you, it lures you, it beckons you, it thaws you, it melts you. God is pursuing you. You're being courted. He doesn't just want you to know, oh, that's a good theological study or like a Bible study about that. He doesn't want you to just know he loves you. He wants your love, right? He wants to tectonically shift your affections in your very being. The greatest commandment is what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and might and soul and strength. You can reject his love, just like Jesus talks about in John 3.16, just like it says in Deuteronomy when it talks about the people who God had set his love on. And we'll continue to talk about, but he is pursuing you. Jesus came to earth for his bride, for his beloved, to love her, to woo her, to win her heart. And you and I are that beloved. Amen? And as the bride says in the Song of Songs, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. And his banner over me is love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would minister to us these truths. Lord, please help them not stay on the page or in history. For those of us who have never tasted and fully experienced your love, oh Lord, would you do what only you can do? Lord, we have heard your word. We have seen in the cross it demonstrated. Oh God, we pray that you would minister to us that Abba belovedness particularly anyone in this room right now who's hungry for it and asking, oh Lord, give more of the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Jesus, help us to be obedient to the great commandment. And all God's people said, amen.